Welcome to a special episode of Inside the Firm, NDSU edition. That's right, Alex and I, we're up accepting the Horizon Award from our university, North Dakota State University, this past weekend. Uh, October the 7th is when we accepted the award, and then we gave a lecture on October 8th. So we're going to share that with uh, everyone here. And the title of the lecture is called The Architect as Entrepreneur, Contractor, and Developer. It's an updated version of this lecture that we gave. But before we get into that, BIM content should be free, and you shouldn't have to give up your personal data in exchange for it. That's what ArcCat believes. ArcCat offers data-rich projects, families, and systems for free and without registration. To sweeten the deal, you can download these files in the last four editions of Revit. That's right, in SketchUp format or DWG. So go to ArcCat.com today and enjoy the freedom. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. This episode is also brought to you by Pella Luxury. You've never experienced a brand like this before. The collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella are the conversation starters, the pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating. And the collection of brands, they are brought together to complement and build on one another. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Trust us. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone on Zoom. Uh, thanks for attending. Uh, just a quick note. Uh, we just got a tour of the facility. Uh, we just talked to some students. We, we also teach at CU Boulder. Um, and the facilities here, what you have, and the work, matches or I want to say far exceeds, exceeds what's happening at, at CU Boulder. So never feel intimidated if you ever would uh, because of NDSU uh, because CU is a major, major university and you guys are crushing it. So we are very, very proud to see that. Uh, one of the reasons we're giving the talk here is because it's, it's a journey of our firm um, and it's a journey that happened through a recession and, and something that we had to build maybe in a non-traditional way. Those cycles can repeat. Um, Lance and I were both going to, well, we did both work at, at, at great firms, but then the recession hit. And uh, this might be particular in the future. I'm not a doomsday person whatsoever, which you'll see in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, just note that if something happens, a recession, or if you aren't getting jobs, there's, there's other ways forwards. Uh, so as Cindy alluded to, and Alex did too, uh, when we both graduated, uh, we kind of, we were at the top of the hodo and one of, I think Daryl Booker um, came up to us and said, uh, man, you guys should start a firm one day. And we go, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe in 10 years. Ha, ha, ha. Well, then the recession hit. Um, but before the recession hit, we did manage to land two really good internships. Um, I, I went to Boulder, Colorado uh, and worked for Studio HC. They were young architects of the, of the year. Uh, Brad, Tom, uh, Brad Tomasek and Studio uh, and Christopher Hare. Uh, Alex went out to uh, New York City and worked for Daniel Liebskin. Um, yep. Managed to turn it into a, into a paying gig, I think, after a couple months. Yep. Um, and then, then the world and the economy just crushed us and uh, broke our hearts, um, literally. Uh, so Alex uh, actually watched the recession happen in real time uh, out of the high rise he was working in down on Wall Street, watching people literally pack up out of Wall Street. Um, and, and, and take their things and, and then kind of everything started to implode um, from there. So no one was hiring. Alex thought that maybe he could withstand the recession, go back for his master's of construction, 
thought it was going to be one year. Joke's on him. It was actually many, many years before we kind of pulled out of it. Um, but we always kept in touch. And one of the things that we kept in touch with when he was in the big city and I was out in Boulder was we kind of saw on the horizon that this is going to happen. I mean, we we're, we're readers. We, we try to stay on top of uh, timing and topics and, and that sort of thing, especially if you follow us on our podcast. Um, and we thought, well, maybe we should start making. So I, I had this idea that I'll start making um, rabbit models. And, and we'll kind of get into that and sort of how that led to us forming the basis for the firm. Yep. And a, a quick shout out, just going back in high school, I since probably elementary school, I was always going to become an architect. And my mom who was here had a magazine and she goes, Oh, this Daniel Liebson guy worked, looks, works, looks great. You should work for him. And I go, Oh no, I, I won't do that. And then lo and behold, there I was. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple different things. Uh, architect as architect uh, with these kind of headlines, architect as contractor and architect as developers. So our firm is F9. We also have F10, which was a publishing, our publishing firm. Um, F11, which was the first tiny houses. F12, which is our developing firm. Uh, F13, we skipped, obviously. F14 is contractor and who knows how, how far we'll go. And this was the first project that Lance and I got together. It was a leftover foundation from the recession that no one, the developer went bankrupt. Um, and then this other developer copied our design. It was hilarious. I walked over, I, I said, where did you get the plans? He's like, oh, I just copied that building. I was like, all right, good for you. Um, but it's kind of unique. I wish we had pictures of the ones next to them. The ones next to them um, were kind of ugly 1980s, kind of aesthetics in 2000 and we just jazzed it up a, a little bit and one of the reasons we got this job we were in my living room walking around talking to the developer and Lance was trying to sell him and I finally said tell him about your construction experience and this is what the when you're planning ahead about the multidisciplinary things that you can bring to the table once he said that he built um, because we were yeah I mean we we're 24 maybe something like that 23 and 25 yep um once he said that we, bit, we built and that we can actually build this if you wanted us to, which we weren't going to do, he finally went with us. Uh, so as I mentioned, Alex and I were talking, still keeping in touch almost every day. I think we're on like a, some kind of chat version of Google or whatever. Um, but we, we talked every day where he was in New York and, and we saw what was coming down the pipeline. And uh, so what we did is I, I started making uh, Revit models. Um, and, and they were their families basically. So one of the things I noticed right away uh, when at the firms I worked at, worked at Wild and Associates um, in downtown Fargo for a while. Then when I moved to uh, Colorado, then I worked, that firm I worked for also used Revit. And one of the things I had found that was missing was that there was, and we wanted to exploit it was like high-end furniture, uh, entourage, stuff like that. M many of which I think like Cindy said, we've, we've kind of given to NDSU as just as sort of, sort of this gift behind the scenes, all that content. Uh, I started making so much Revit content that we got noticed by a website called TurboSquid. It's kind of a, I, I, it's kind of a defunct website at this point, but TurboSquid is making all of these uh, Revit models. And they said, man, you were really making a lot of them. I told them my goals and we were working with Al about it and uh, talking with him about it. And then we landed um, some contracts through Arcat and Sumex. And so if you go to arcat.com, um, you'll find that a lot of those models, that was the basis of the bread and butter work that we, that we did just to survive until we could get 
duplexes um, like that first project. Yep. And then also one of the points of this talk is execute even on your dumb ideas. Because I went to Lance and said, we should make our own website and call it Revit Revit and have a frog as a logo because why not? Um, and we, we did it and it lasted for a couple of years. It, it lasted longer than I thought because we got a call from Universal Studios. They wanted us to help model some stuff. And I go, oh, by the way, how do you find us? And they're like, oh yeah, your website, Revit Revit. Um, and this was a couple of years ago and I haven't touched this website in, in years. So just know that execution pays way more than, than just talking or just ideas in your head. All right, my clicker is not working as much. Yeah. As, and then this is what Lance was talking about, about making all these content pieces. Um, and was basically the bread and butter uh, monetary wise of our firm. Yeah. So one of the things that, so like Alex was saying, one of the things that I think we encourage everybody to do is uh, he calls them stupid ideas, but um, you, all, all ideas are worth exploring. And I think putting yourself out there and not being afraid of failure is one of the things that, that we've done throughout our careers that, and we do fail. There have been uh, multiple things that we put out there. One was like kids, kidsartwall.com. So it was this um, series of just like a pine, um, like wood studs. And I, and I would hang up my kids art on there because I was really poor when I first moved to Colorado because we didn't have any, hardly any work. Um, but that failed, right? But then what that led to was us understanding how to make quick and easy websites using, using Weebly, Squarespace, stuff like that. So what we, what we ended up doing is we ended up uh, coming up with this idea that, first of all, for us to get the first sets of clients, um, we did, we were, we were beating people out with fees, right? So our fees weren't um, these very large fees that you get when you're sort of a tenured architect. In order for, to make those fees work though, what we really had to do was develop a package in Revit, sort of a template that would allow us to work twice as fast as everybody else and produce twice as much as everybody else because our fees were half as much as everybody else. So we could still maintain profitability, right? And, and keep feeding because profitability is the, like the lifeblood of a business. Uh, so what we came up with is, uh, Alex did actually, uh, Revit Rocket Chip. He sort of corralled this whole thing, and that sort of coupled also with us starting to teach it at the University of Colorado um, Boulder. So there was this double factor of benefit, right? We were benefiting um, financially and maintaining our firm, but at the same time, we were empowering students like you at the University of Colorado Boulder and professionals all around the world um, with, this, with this package. Yeah. The one thing, so walking around, seeing the amazing work, I think it was the second year studio that we were on. The reason why we thought this was so valuable, and one thing that CU does have, because we teach there and our students get this, is that there's a major difference between opening up, everyone's opening up the Revit Tempa that just comes standard. And there's, you know, three levels. Um, there's barely anything. First, getting every Lego that you could imagine, right? Um, and and that, that's what this was. And, and a lot of professional firms, um, Buy that and use it. Yeah. Um, and then at, at CU, we taught, uh, and this is some example of the work. This was uh, a student a couple years ago that did this amazing kind of house uh, in the forest, and, and we thought it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So uh, kind of following on the on that of if you if you're noticing a theme here is that we we have an idea, we explore it. Sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. And then if it's successful, then we just kind of keep building on top of that success and sort of um, layering and creating this ecosystem that helps us to survive, even if there's uh, you know, another great recession. And there probably will be, right? Um, so when we started teaching at, the, at, at CU, um, we realized that, hey, maybe our best students should become our TAs. And then what if our TAs 
eventually could become our employees. So this is one of our top employees now, his, his work. Uh, he at CU is very adamant about um, doing everything um, by hand and with models, and that's all great and grand. Well, we kind of uh, took, we, we like to think that we take our students to another level by providing them with that Revit rocket ship, sort of this own course and text that we, that we done, that we provide for them. And then they're able to produce these amazing renderings from the very first shot um, of using Revit. Uh, so this is an example of it. Um, so as we, as we started teaching at CU, then one of the other things we do is, like Alex said, is we, we explore um, and test our ideas out. So in 2012, yep. So again, the, this section is architect as, as entrepreneur. In 2012, everyone knew that the world was going to end. So we said, why don't we design uh, dwellings that basically uh, protect against that? And it was just a thought in 2012 when we were driving in a car and, and Lance was like, you should make them all shapes. Um, and another thing too about growth is that it, it's hard to add employees, right? Because all of a sudden you have two people. And then if you had one more person, that's a third of your, of your firm. And the key with that was that Lance would always be productive. And then, and then our employees would always be productive. And then I would take any of the slack. And any of the slack would then go into marketing or making something else up, right? So we basically designed these for 2012. Um, it got in um, Modern in Denver. It got in a bunch of newspaper in like Thailand and China. Um, I think one of them, Floodhouse, we sent to the uh, forum because it floods here all the time. I don't think that one's shown. And that got, uh, that got publicity up here. And again, every time we get clients, we say, hey, where did you hear about us? And then after this, we just started to hear, oh, we just kind of knew about you rather than, hey, it was a friend or it was this. So it really kind of helped expand our, our scope. Yep. Um, so when you don't have a lot of boat work, you have to convince people, uh, your first clients, uh, to hire you, like Alex said, about talking about maybe, maybe, maybe you did work summers in construction. Think about that as a, as a very valuable asset um, that you could bring to the table, right? Um, whether it was hands-on or in the office or anything like that. Um, so eventually, um, and again, once we started to get some kind of media attention, this was one of those clients that came to us and said exactly what Alex said is, I don't know, we just, we just heard about you guys. We've just known about you guys. Um, so we think it maybe is from the magazine. We think it's maybe from the newspaper. It doesn't matter. We put ourselves out there and then eventually somebody, somebody found us. More positive stuff you put out in life, right? It's going to come back to you in a certain way. So this is, we're very proud of this. Very, one of the very first modern houses that we did down in Denver, it's, it's the Jazz House. Um, it's called the Jazz House because uh, it was designed for two army veterans, one of which is a uh, jazz musician. And he said uh, on this very irregular piece of land that they bought near the golf course in Lakewood that uh, I want everybody to know um, my house. Like I want it to be an iconic piece in Denver. Um, so, you know, we, we played off this idea of um, creating something that uh, sort of um, reflected the idea of jazz music, right? That it's all eclectic, it's all different in that sort of way. Uh, then going forward too, uh, does everyone remember when Amazon was going to make a new headquarters, right? Uh, and a bunch of people were doing designs. We decided to do a design on your own and just answer the simple question. I think it was 8 million square feet. And are there, have you guys done your uh, high rise yet? Right? So after you do your high rise, <clears throat> putting this together isn't, isn't that difficult um, whatsoever. Just making some massing and some modeling. 
Um, and this was another thing where it was not only publications, but it was the uh, local news. I even emailed Jeff Bezos and you can track people's email. And he sent it internally to all of his people because there was like 20 some openings of it and, and a whole bunch of activities. Um, obviously, you know, nothing happened from there. He's probably busy suing SpaceX. If you guys follow that, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, we uh, put this together, modeled it, and then, and then Lance hit the, the marketing side, right? So know that the skills that you are making now, a lot of people are visual learners. And a lot of news, because they don't have that skill, is just written, right? So if a Super Bowl is, is coming, it, you know, every year, you could model a Super Bowl stadium. How would that look in place of the Fargo Dome, right? People are interested in these kind of things. Anything that you can make visual um, that's topical is something that can and probably will be picked up by the news. Because if you haven't noticed, it's on 24-7. There's like eight channels, and most of it is junk, right? So anything that they can have that someone's interested in, they're interested in publishing. Right. And then the cool thing about this was I, we got a phone call from a client. I said, Hey, we saw your skyscraper. We think that's great. But do you happen to do townhomes? And I was like, that's actually all we do. We like, <laughs> we don't do skyscrapers whatsoever. We do, we do townhomes. They're like, okay, this is great. Um, and that's, that led to, to this project right here um, to do some townhomes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, on that same vein, if you, if, again, to kind of like talk about a theme here, right? So we noticed there was an opening and an opportunity with all of the Revit furniture and, and that sort of thing. And then that, so we exploited that. Uh, we capitalized on this idea that in the Mayan calendar, right? 2012, it's all gonna, the world's gonna die and stuff like that. So we knew there was going to be media looking for stories to run with that. Alex was following Amazon and realized that you know Amazon was looking for a city. So why don't we why don't we just throw this out there? I think he put it together in like 48, 72 hours or something yeah, like that. It was not long. Super fast, really quick. Um, but then that led to the townhomes and then it led to pieces like this uh, as well. So this is uh, this is one of our everybody got you know everybody there's a shipping containers like in vogue still somehow like 10 years later. Um, but this is a project that we're very proud of. It's uh, Eldorado climbing walls. So they uh, make 90%, 90, 95% of climbing wall installations. They probably made North Dakota State University's climbing wall um, or, or some like in the city. Uh, so they found us um, because of Modern Endeavor. They found us um, and they found us because of the, the skyscraper project um, and all the other, other places. And they wanted somebody who would do some out there ideas, something a little bit more uh, cutting edge um, and, and, and pushing the boundaries of it. So this is in Louisville, Colorado. It was completed, I think, two years ago. Um, we're really proud of it. And what's crazy about this is that there's this project, and I'll let Lance talk because they're both his projects, and then this project, which we call Top Shelf. And they're both kind of finished at the same time and uh, photographed at the same time. And I thought that this one was going to take off. And, uh, but it happened that this jazz house took off. And I don't know if we have other pictures. It's a beautiful, amazing house. It got in Builder Magazine, the cover of Builder Magazine. The, we now have three baby top shelf houses at least that we're doing yeah um that, that people came to us so you're all architecture and design students so after this if you can tell me why this one nailed it rather than this i would like to know because i thought that this one was gonna take off um, and, and maybe we were just biased because like we get these once a quarter we will get an inquiry we'll get a phone call email doesn't matter and somebody will say i want to they think they can cheat the system my wife can probably relate to this like they think they can cheat the real estate system like, oh, we're going to get it. We're going to build a house shipping containers. It's going to be like half price. 
then they realize it's not, it's even more because shipping containers are for shipping, not houses, right? Um, <laughs> so they got to learn that hard truth. But um, but you can end up with, with work like this that kind of speaks to sort of the shipping container uh, yep. talk, right? And, and I just, a little learning point. Why cost more, right? Houses are built with sticks, two by fours, two by sixes. In a shipping container for the installation, you still have to put those two by fours in. And then you can't use regular uh, insulation. You have to use spray foam, which is more expensive. So basically you are paying for the siding. And then you're yeah, cutting all the steel. Working with steel is more expensive. So like initially it makes sense that you got these for cheap so that it will be cheaper, but I'm telling you it's more expensive. It's not that you can't do it. It's not that it's not cool. It's not that it doesn't make great architecture, but the, the, the lie is, is that you're going to save money on it. Just heads up. Yep. Yep. Uh, we'll go back to the Eastwatch. So Eastwatch, we were commissioned in, um, I believe 20, 2017. Um, they found us online. Uh, one of the things that I think we haven't talked about yet is uh, another opening that we felt like we exploited right away earlier in our careers and, and still do today is online marketing. Um, the firm that laid me off, is what I will never forget one of the meetings that kind of made it click for me. So um, I was maybe six months into my internship there. It lasted about nine months before I got laid off at HT. And I was trying to bring in work at that point because I was like, and I had been able to find my own work. Alex had too, even in college, um, he worked on some, he would, you could just find his own work at this ability, right? So uh, I had a cousin who lived in Denver and Studio HD was like, we should get into government work, right? And especially during that era, there was a lot of government funding for work, shovel ready projects, if you remember the Obama era, right? Is what they would call them. So we went down and met in this high rise, uh, met with this firm who basically procures all government work. And my cousin, who was my, my same age at the, at the time, I, you know, I think I was like 25 again at that age, at that time, he turns to Christopher Hare and, he's, and looks him straight in the eye, one of the principals, and says, well, how are you guys getting work now? Like, are, you, are you advertising? He goes, no, just word of mouth. And I, I was like, oh, they aren't even active. Like, they just think, do you do a house like this? And it does work this way. Like you do one house like this and then these guys are, you know, wealthy uh, tech folks. They're gonna tell another wealthy tech folk and et cetera, et cetera. It does work like that. However, architects at that time, especially in Colorado, we just did not see them advertising online. They weren't using Google AdWords. They weren't taking advantage of sites like Thumbtack. Google business listings were pretty poor and, and stuff like that. So we really exploited that, um, that niche. So if you, if you, looked up uh, Architect Colorado, and you happen to, we happened to pop up on the business listing. I think we're at like 64, 64, 4.9 rating or something like that, almost a 5.0 rating. Um, and then Thumbtack is where this came through. So nobody was really advertising on thumbtack.com. And I, I understand how a lot of architects might think it's beneath them to advertise in that way. But clearly, we ended up getting a client that landed us on the cover of a builder magazine. So don't, don't feel bad about trying to be profitable, trying to be a capitalist, trying to, to grow successfully um, and make money while at the same time doing award-winning, amazing architecture. Our first multifamily 24-unit complex came from Craigslist. None of our work comes from Craigslist anymore, but it came from Craigslist, and that has led to all 48 units, uh, uh, a mid-story ride. Like The amount of multifamily that came straight from Craigslist is crazy. It, it's even led to 
The city of Lakewood, Colorado yeah. now recommends our firm for all of that multifamily work that originally came from Craigslist. Yep. Yeah. So this is sort of a culmination of all of that very nitty gritty organic and then also, you know, more professional um, advertising online. Um, so this is our biggest project to date as far as uh, commission goes, um, revenue wise. Um, it's in the hundreds of thousands. So for us, it, we're very proud of it. It allowed us to actually hire uh, Bailey Cochran, um, another MDSU student, um, and then Katie Cumro too from CU Boulder. Uh, so it is a it is a huge development. Um, it sits on about 10 acres. This is a uh, big commercial. This is the commercial portion of it. There's about eight or nine buildings here. Um, we are, the city council will vote on this on October 25th, whether to move it ahead or kill the project. Um, but either way, we're really, go ahead. Yep. Sorry, and, and they're not killing it on the design. They're killing it on uh, not in my backyard. We don't want more people here. Uh, so you'll run into NIMBYs. You'll run into NIMBYs. You should be a YIMBY though. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, this portion is the multifamily development. So there's five or six apartment buildings. And then uh, this is the, a church. And it'll be a, the, first, the first, very first church that we hopefully design and get built. One of the coolest parts about this, and Cindy talked about this when she introduced us, is don't forget about these connections. The only way we got to this rendering in the very, very tight timeline is we had to subcontract um, out the renderings to Matt Perry. And we had to subcontract the design of uh, the church some of the multifamilies, and I think three or four of the buildings out to Derek Maher, who was actually sitting with us last night um, at, at, at our table. But so, don't tell him we thanked him. Okay? <laughs> he doesn't need to know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so, so Franklin Place, we're really proud of. And uh, don't forget about those connections. Like, it, it is real. And some of the developers even we've met down in Denver um, are from North Dakota State. And as soon as you can kind of have that first personal connection with people, you know, this is such a warm, friendly place where people really try to build on each other. Um, they're, they're real. So keep those connections and, and keep people close. Well, and this also came from Lance's friend in high school in Trenton. There's only like eight people in his class. Her sister did a house. I designed the house. She then recommended us to this real estate agent who then, now this happened. So there you go. Okay. So... <clears throat> Um, that was architect as entrepreneur, um, or architect as architect, now moving into architect as contractor. And basically, why we're doing this and why we're doing architect as developers is because when we la got laid off, everyone knows Liebskin and, and HT is just a more boutique, high-end firm. But the thing was, they do one thing. We do architecture for rich people houses. We do architecture for rich nations, right, or big buildings. And they had one leg to stand on. And then when that leg got kicked off, things fell apart. New York in 2008 was crazy the amount of people laid off. It was, uh, yeah. It was, it was like a 50% unemployment rate among architects. Yeah. No joke. Yep. Um, so we tried to make multiple legs to stand on, right? Three, four, five. Case one gets kicked off, the stool still stands. Yeah. And another idea, so uh, Blake, from, from NDSU, he was upset around this time because uh, he didn't like where his architecture job was going. He saved up some money. And we said, well, why don't you, you love to tour. Why don't you make a tiny house? How much money do you have? He said, well, we thought a tiny house would cost $20,000. All those shows are a lie. 
They do not cost that much. They cost way more than that. But we said, why don't you make a tiny house with us and then travel around and, you know, just screw your job. And we don't remember what he said because we were celebrating that first house on that foundation. That's why we were out and talking. Uh, and then we called them just to, just to talk. And then we got back and then we went up to uh, our office, which was my dining room, and we bought the website. And then we called him up and said, great, we brought the, bought the website, you're going to do this. And he said, guys, I never agreed to this. You're just making this all up in your head. And we're like, that's cool. We'll just, we're still going to do it, obviously. So we designed the whole thing. And then I was at a builder's show and there was a bunch of tiny houses there that said, sign up, HGTV is looking to film tiny houses. If you're making a tiny house, put your name down. So I obviously lied and said, of course, we're making a tiny house. <laughs> and then he came, then, came, then he came to the office all excited and said, hey, by the way, I just signed this up. We're making a tiny house. Oh, and we got to film it in like six weeks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so they called and said, I heard you're building a house. I was like, of course we are. That's why you called. <laughs> they said, can you do it in four weeks? I said, no, do it in, we can do it in six weeks. Um, so we had to actually execute all the designs, get a small business loan, start the project, realize we are way over our heads. Called my dad, said, hey, dad, what are you doing? Nothing great. Come down to Colorado, mom. You don't need him, right? Send him down. Call Lance's dad. Hey, mom, do you need dad? No, of course not. Send him down. They help us build this. It's got on HGPV. And that really helped too, that whole just awareness of people knowing. Um, it's kind of like the, the Pepsi advertisements. They're just, you're not going to go buy a Pepsi right away. It's just blanket advertisement. So any of these opportunities kind of helps get your name across. Um, that led to, we can say it now, Subaru. Subaru called and said, hey, we want two of them. Um, and you can't tell because of perspective, but this was only half the height and that's half of the other height. Um, and then this is the, the full height. So it's, it's a lot more. And then there's an awning that's the full height. And then <clears throat> these are basically on hydraulics and all of these fold down and, and have to you know, kind of work together. The best part of this was I was having a, our first child at that time. So I was able to just do the design and then say, you know, you guys build it. And then after a couple of weeks, my wife was like, you can get out of the house. You don't do much anyways here. Um, and then I came back and helped finish it up. So that's Al, obviously on top of the deck. He didn't know it was my turn. So good. Uh, super happy be and celebrating because that was very difficult engineering precision um, to do that. But which kind of leads to this slide is that I would encourage everybody to just build one time in their life, even if it's if you're an architect, even anybody, actually, even if it's just your own house or maybe it's like a custom art studio shed in your backyard. A chicken coop. Al's built chicken coops. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> straw bale, right? Yep. Straw bale, metal roof. Yeah. The gutter, would, the gutter would go down and like feed the lettuce and it, it kind of worked out. Yeah, you look it up on YouTube. You'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but I, why I encourage it is I think you learn so many lessons, but I think you gain so many skills. And one of the best skills I think you you gain as an architect once you build is you're able to build precisely. You are able to outbuild other people because you control the you control the architecture. You control hopefully the structural engineering. You control all the drawings, all the model. You can literally have the model out on site, you know, on your laptop tablet, whatever, and pull dimensions for your subs or even yourself, right? So then what, what this shot is, is of um, how precise we had to be for the Subaru build once we put on the spring hinges. 
I mean the tolerances and the way to get them to fold everything to fold up and everything was ridiculous. I'm surprised Al doesn't have less hair today because of that kind of uh, anxiety of, of getting towards that. But it really does allow you to build precisely. And it's even further than that. We'll get into it like once you see our development about the pride and the confidence um, that we have when we bring clients in now to our headquarters and we just point and say, oh yeah, we, we, we designed, built, and developed this. And that's how we can get to this kind of level of precision and architecture and commodity and all of those things. Um, they're just kind of sold hook, line, and sinker at that point. And what you'll learn from doing that so your skills, everyone is taught how to draw and how to plan. Um, we are now building a similar tiny house to the first Atlas tiny house. And a student came, a couple students wanted to do it. So I handed off the drawings and basically said, yeah, you build it, I'll help management. The, the leadership lesson I learned in that is that unless you are thinking and drawing through each one of these details, it's not going to come together the way that you want it to come together, right? Um, and, and that, that, was a pro that was a problem. But what the lesson, what was also great about this was for these bigger, tiny houses, when we went in the shop and was working, there was a couple of shop workers there. And I would chat with them and some of them said, yeah, my dad was always in construction. He uh, worked at a hardware store. I grew up in it. You know, another guy, you know, could weld and do all this stuff. I'm like, I'm like then why are we building this? You know, why are we building this? We're architects just out here doing it. And it's crazy how many people won't take that leap. And what we're trying to tell you is that you are developing the skills to take that leap. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so uh, you can't see the slide because I think somebody's chatting up there, but either way are the, the words. But so building, a lot, build, building your own work allows you to raise the limits. That's sort of, sort of the idea here, right? I mean, we just keep, kept evolving these tiny houses and we're expected to by Subaru because we executed on the first one. I was like, oh God, I guess we set ourselves up for this sort of challenge, right? Um, whoops, did we go too far? Yeah. Uh, so this is a setting, another one of the, one of the decks. Um, so, and what's cool about this one we built, we'll probably show it our development, which is a traditional development. The banker said, hey, yeah, you know, we'll loan you money, um, but you know, you guys aren't gonna do any steel work or, or hire any cranes. And we, we were like, no, but we're, it was funny because it's like, that's exactly what we would do if you would let us. Um, because these had to be in like one thirty second inch of a column yeah. to make it all work. It was, it was pretty precise. Yeah. yeah. Very difficult build, but very rewarding. And then what that ultimately allows you to do, it allows you to create like nobody else can. I mean, you are controlling so much of the process if you have the budget that you are going to. So it, it really speaks to like, what it allows you to do as an architect in terms of affecting society, affecting people in a, in a positive way. Everybody that we've heard from, heard from that has seen these all over the United States, because these traveled, I think, for one or two years, they would take them all over to the ski resorts, Subaru put on Winterfest. Um, so they were seen by, you know, I don't know, probably hundreds of thousands of people when you add it all up. Um, but every person that we've somehow been connected with as a, as a client after this, who had, saw these either in person or on the website, um, but especially in person, they would just marvel at like the experience of seeing those tiny houses. And it was, it was truly memorable and, and impressioning to them. Yep. And the big lesson to sum it up. So uh, I don't know if Daniel told me this or if I read it in a book, but he said that he would do one fun project a year. And that's what we're trying to do at, at our firm. And that's what we're trying to do with our builds because then that all said this, if he comes 
uh, is closer aligned because you don't have as many stakeholders. And then that's when you get these projects that I think connect to, you know, more of the soul of people and, and spread farther. Yeah. Um, and then building off of that, after building this, after building those, we realized that we can up our game on the architectural side, right? We were already modeling the structure in our architectural buildings, but we just modeled it more precisely. And then we, we learned how uh, visual images have such a high impact. So then in our templates, we'd make it so that structural foundation was its own view and automatically populated. You know, structural uh, walls, uh, roof systems did the same thing. And that helps then the contractor look over it at a general sense before they go into those detailed plans that are just a bunch of numbers, just a bunch of lines. They can see what's happening. A lot of times there'll be uh, wall breaks and they get it immediately um, rather than missing something like that. And then all of a sudden those contractor clients love your drawings more than someone else's drawings because then they don't mess up and you aren't starting this fighting war between the contractor and the architect. So this is, these are structural drawings of uh, axonometric drawings of that East Watch house that got, uh, made us the cover of Builder Magazine January issue this year. We had, because, because we went to this level of detail and we evolved the way we draw and communicate our construction drawings this way, we had zero RFIs from the contractor, which is really incredible. To, 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 the, to, to everybody's credit though, we have been working with that contractor for about 10 years. So we, but maybe that's also something to talk about is like having building on that relationship and getting serious feedback from them about what kind of drawings they wanna see. They cannot compliment us enough about just giving them an axonometric of the foundation with all the little ledges and, and uh, jogs and all of that has been paramount for what we do. Yep. Um, this also led into us doing some structural acrobatics with, with uh, the building and the development that, that we made. Because we are able to model it, we were confident that it could be created. Um, here's a picture. This is our headquarters. Uh, the third level is where everyone works. This is a conference room, and then we have all of our construction stuff um, down there. Um, it's on our website if you, if you want to see it. Um, but this is, uh, what's cool about it too was, you know, Paul Simon, uh, Angel, uh, you can call me Al, you know, the angels in the architecture, right? So that's where the wings come from. I was like, I always want to make like angel wings in the architecture. Um, and then Lance and, and Alex Resch were able to, to model it and, and make it happen. And it wasn't a big deal construction wise. Yep. Yeah. So if you, if you seriously want to take the leap uh, later on in your career, it's not that difficult, believe it or not. To be a contractor. To be a contractor. Uh, to, be, to be a builder. Um, a, a lot of it is just studying, uh, building materials, reading the manuals. Um, it's, it's easier in a sense of time frame and the amount of tests you got to take. It's vastly different than being an architect, right? Being an architect takes sometimes five years here before you can uh, go out in the world and graduate with your professional degree. Seven years, apparently, if you go to U of M, I heard last yeah. night. You but know. yeah, who cares about them, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but contracting wise, part of it is experience. So the first thing you need to do is you need to document your experience and make sure you keep good references. So again, keeping that really good relationship going with, let's say you did intern each summer uh, that you're at architecture school with a contractor. You're literally, one summer you're doing drywall, the next summer you're doing roofing, the next summer you're doing framing, and all of that. Take pictures of the work that you do, keep them as references, because what you need to prove to the building department, you just have to get one building department to sign off on it, 
Denver is corrupt, so you'll probably never be a contractor there. It's yeah, it's you. It's corrupt. I'm serious. <laughs> we won't go into it. If you want to ask, we, we can. But yeah, yeah. Al tried to transfer his Class B license to do a small interior addition on a house, and it wouldn't work. So keep your documentation, keep your references, because I had to use them to get our Class B commercial license for our development. And the idea with doing that is obviously is then like if the more responsibility you take, the bigger reward you'll get in the end, right? So like we didn't have to hire a contractor that charges 10, 20, 30, whatever percent. We were the contractor and then we could hopefully reap that profit in the end, right? So there's three kinds of tests that you can take. The first one's super easy actually. And you can just kind of get that without having the documentation or the references because it's still America and you can still build your own house, right? It's kind of, it'd be very anti-American, I think, if they ever made it so like, oh no, you have to have some other licensed contractor that no, you can still do it. So the Class C is pretty simple. A lot of municipalities just have their own little test that you can take uh, if you're gonna do it. One thing I recommend to kill two birds, one stone is just read the IRC. The whole IRC, I'm not joking. I've read it. I've read the, the IRC and the IBC, literally word for word. Alex has two. Um, I skipped over some. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I highlighted the stuff and then that's what he skipped over. So, so class B, when I went to go do that, I had the documentation. I had the references because basically from when I was 13 um, up until about 20, uh, 23, 24, I, that's, what, that's what I was doing. I was either a subcontractor or involved in some kind of uh, level of construction it, basically every part of it right foundations roofing you name it I, I tried to do it and and i had that those references from all those various contractors that i worked for but you do have to take a bigger test for this uh for the class b and i it's like 80 questions or something yep. like that 80 questions the way we both studied for it and we actually now have our staff do it too as a bonus is we just read the ibc and we read it word for word. We tabbed the whole thing. So not only did it help us get our Class B commercial contracting license, so we could, we could build with the Class B, you can build anything under three stories. Commercial, we could build a school if we really wanted to. They would allow us to do it. Um, but now we have our staff. Once they pass our architecture license, uh, licensing test, then we challenge them to take the Class B test and see if they can do it. And we pay for the test, and then if you pass it, we give them a monetary bonus. And they all do, and we ask them the same question when they're done. Because they've taken five architecture tests. Said, how was that test, and what did you learn from it? And they said, that test, I learned more from that one contractor's test and studied way less than the five architecture tests. And another thing, this would be so hard for teachers to teach just because um, if you knew the, how it would work, you could see how hard it was. But if you ever designed a structure and most of the people coming in, you guys know how to design, you know how to model it. It's how does these go together? So a great class would be, and you could maybe do this on your own. Honestly, you take one of your buildings or you take one of your houses and you read through the IRC for the house and just relate it to what you just did. Like literally chapter by chapter, what is this relating to? Because the IRC will tell you how to build a house. Yeah. It will give you span tables. It will tell you how to connect things, right? If you do a, a commercial building, you can't read them independently of a project because it won't make sense, right? But then if you literally read through every chapter, oh, they're talking about occupancy. What occupancy would this be? How does that relate? It, would, it is literally the most useful thing that you can do and is kind of missing out because it is so dense and it has to relate so individually to each one of your projects, right? 
And then it would be boring, essentially, if they made you do one project and just read over and you'd zone out and you wouldn't get much from it. But personally, if you ever have the time or the will, that would be one of the best things that could help out your confidence because you'd be way more competent in what you were doing. Yep. So pass the class B test. Uh, I'm a class B general contractor. Al is a class B general contractor. The, one of the great things about it is once you get one in one view municipality minus Denver, you can, tra you can transfer them pretty simply by just showing your, your certificate from, let's say, Longmont over to Boulder County like we've done before, right? Class A is a little different. Uh, that is unlimited, meaning you could build a skyscraper. Like, sky is the limit. If I ever interview Jonathan Segal out of San Diego, very famous architect who's also a developer contractor, I'm going to ask him, how did you get your class A? Because class A, you would have to have all that experience, uh, which is very difficult to get. Because skyscrapers, even though we see them, like this, it's kind of a rare building type percentage-wise, right? So that was difficult. But just trust us that if you were looking to do something like we we've done so far, class B will get you there. That'll cover you commercial-wise and residential-wise. Once you set up your companies, one thing that you want to make sure you do always, no matter what, if you try to do what we do where we are these entrepreneurs that keep doing these different things, you really want a separate and distinct company for each one. So that's why we have F9, 10, 11, 12, all, all, all that stuff. One goes down, you want to make sure it doesn't make, take down the rest of the dominoes. And that's just basic business acumen um, that everybody should know about. Um, same thing with separate and distinct insurance. And one, one thing we should probably add to this is separate and distinct bank accounts. Even with the contracting side of things, I have my bank account. Alex has access to it. I have access to this. But they're separate in terms of, like, when I do a building project, it's mainly me. And I'm handling all the money and writing all the checks and hiring all the people and making sure it's going. Same thing on his side. So we have two separate bank accounts to make sure the money is, like, clean in that sense. Yep. Uh, uh, just know... New York State and California are way different, um, and you can imagine why. But everyone else is pretty, pretty normal. Um, just a, a quick run through of, of basically doing something that you know you can do and then reaping the awards on multiple different levels, right? Um, so basically, 18% uh, of your total construction cost. Well, actually, Lance, this is yours. Oh, okay. Sure. So we just wanted to open up the books of like, okay, what can you make? Like, does it make sense for me to be, would I ever entertain the idea of, of contracting something that I design in the future if you have your own firm or, or whatever, right? I think it makes sense. So the first thing you got to do is you got to convince the client. Um, obviously, as you get more experience, it's easier to do. Now people just ask, or people just assume rather. Case in point, the Trinity House that Al is going to build soon. Al was kind of nervous going into that meeting and we talked about it on the podcast multiple times at a couple of different presentations, different AIA groups about like, well, how do you convince your clients that you should build their building too? Um, and so going into that meeting, Al came back afterwards and he was like, oh yeah, they just told me they just assumed I was going to do it. Yep. So and, and, <laughs> and think about this too. So, so that client is a, um, he, he's a businessman. Uh, he, he knows what's going on with supply chains and, 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 and that's where he warned us. And I was already looking forward because of the nature of our jobs, Lance was too, about what could happen to the supply chain and how that could affect the economy. And it could be bad. We don't know, but it could be very bad. And he was kind of giving this, this scenario um, and we're still going to build the house. But think about <clears throat> once a house is funded, it is funded. And that's 12 to 16 months of work that you can execute on. Architecture projects, 
can die in an instant. They will die halfway through. They will die 99% through. They will die 1% through. Construction projects normally typically will not die. That will help you survive if these downturns happen. Yeah, that's a great point, right? So you hear all these numbers too, and you could probably go to the AIA because they put out a report, I think, every year or every two years about what, what, what fees people typically get. And they're pretty, they're pretty spot on to what you should get architecture-wise for fees, but they're nowhere ever near 18% right? Profit, like that's the kind of income you can get from a project. And if you do what we do, you can increase that maybe up to 25, 30%. Those are, those are amazing profits. Typically people want to be between five and 10% running business, right? Uh, when what we do is we have a three man uh, or three woman construction crew. We had actually had uh, three gals work on job site this yeah. summer. It was awesome. Um, but because we control that labor too, so, and on the commercial job I'm running right now, we are doing almost every carpentry task, except for, um, I think we've farmed out a little bit of painting because just because of the timeline crunch. But, you know, if, you, you're, if you're paying your carpenters 25 bucks an hour, you're billing them out at 50, you bill them out at 75, something like that. That's how you can ratchet up and, and really become even more profitable for that. So the self-performing on that, right? So an example is, um, this is a barn. Uh, we, if you go to our website now, I think it's like Boulder Barn Aminium. I think it just went up. Social media team put it up. Um, this is the construction um, build cost for that. It was about 556000 And our GC fee ended up being 100000 And then we made an additional $50,000 by self-performing the windows, doors, roofing, siding, interior finishes. So this is a, so we ended up creating sort of out of, I mean, piggybacking on top of the architecture work that we earned. That architecture fee was vastly less than the 150000 plus the extra income and the new business and the referrals and, and kind of layers on top of this idea um, that we continue to do. Okay. Um, oh, and then speaking of entrepreneurship, and then of course we made a course on it. <laughs> um, and then some of our clients who, there's a client right now that's building his own house, um, but he, he's just a, he's a, he's a tech guy. And then he took it, um, and then now he's building, building his own house uh, from the knowledge from, from this course. So again, using that knowledge and seeing how you can stack it. On how many, can you speak, other. go back. Can you speak, to, wasn't there a student that emailed you uh, a couple months ago that took it? Oh, yes, not from here. Um, but again, uh, he, he, said it, he said it was amazing because it was looking into that nitty gritty, the, the stuff that's, that's hard to teach but the order of operations, how things go together, um, how you organize it. And just knowing that that flow of how a project gets built helps you understand why you're doing stuff on, on the design side. That makes sense. Yep. Lastly, and then are we going, do we have like five minutes? What? Well, I mean, like, do we only have about five minutes? Okay. Okay. There's more pizza, people. If you want more pizza. <laughs> Uh, lastly, architect is developer. I do not think that this one is, is, is that long. So when we were building, it's eight residential units and then our office down in Colorado. And we basically, the, the profit that we got from the Subaru build, we used to buy the land. Okay. So that was the transition in there. And we go, hey, this will be interesting uh, experience for us because it's a bigger project than the Subaru project. Why don't we start a podcast? Lance and I are very busy. And we'll call it inside the firm because we'll at least have a time where we can talk to each other about business and we'll document uh, this development. And we thought it would be heavy on the development side. 
But it turns out that going through the city, as we probably should have known, takes forever. Uh, and they're very long. And uh, the build project was uh, probably about a year. Yeah, a year. 13 months. Um, so it was over a year and a half on the planning side and then a year to build it. So there are episodes chronologically that actually that build, but it has turned into um, a podcast about our develop, uh, about our firm, what we're doing. And then there's a Monday morning edition where uh, we bring in guests and, and talk to them. KPF, um, Cone Pedersen Fox uh, just had Pedersen on. Um, so it, it's been great. And there's a picture of the, the actual development. So uh, this is all of our construction stuff. This is our conference room. We need another one. Um, and then this is the office. And then uh, the rooftop where you can see the mountains and all that. Yeah. Uh, this is looking at the so opposite the sixplex. Yep. So we'll be looking from over there back that way, sort of thing. Uh, this is the sixplex. Um, we now actually uh, own Alex and I own this one, and then we own this one. Um, I own that one as well as rental properties. So we kind of flip them back. Um, you want to talk about this one? Yep. So if you're thinking about that. <laughs> A lot of these things, a lot of the reason people don't take a leap is because you don't know where to start. If you're ever looking into development, the first thing you need to look at is the land, right? And then the, the infrastructure to service that land. Because normally if it's a bigger development, you need some roads in there. So if you can get the land and the road cost to be under 18%, that is a good thing to start looking at and developing. That's your first metric, right? The second thing is money down, right? And there's two ways to do that. That means you need 25% or 30% of the total value of the project in cash, or there's other ways around it. I'll get to that. Um, so that the bank can finance the rest, right? So the bank says, if it costs a million dollars, right? You need $250,000 or else we aren't going to give you 750 to make it, right? And we'll charge you three to 6% on that during the build. Um, and then you'll sell it or turn it into a, a permanent loan. You can get private financing. And they say, this is where they talk, uh, John Segal, he talks about Johnny Bucks. Um, <clears throat> we will loan you 75% loan to value. Well, the value is more than the cost. And a lot of times the value will be 25 to 30% more than the cost. So basically, you can do it with almost zero money down, right? And the, because the construction costs, you had to pay the architects, which we just did in our free time, right? Uh, we paid the civil engineers. Um, we paid the structural engineers. We, we bought the land. Um, so there's two ways to do it. The loan to value costs 12%, which is a lot steeper and a lot of money once you start to you know, add those zeros up when you're getting loans for it. Um, so the third way that you can do it is say, hey, we want the bank loan at 5%, but we don't have $250,000 the way it's doing it. Well, you have your connections at NDSU and you talk to someone with money and they say, this project looks good. I will loan you the 250%. I want 12%, but I want 12% on 250,000, not 12% on 2 million, right? It's a little bit different math that way. And then, they become your partner, they get their 12% on their 250, and then the bank loans you 5%, and there you go. Um, this three-year balloon means whenever you buy land, normally the loan is only for three years. It's, you are, you're paying as if it's 30 years, 
but in three years, they want it paid off essentially. Uh, three to five. And I think I talked about all that. Good for me. And this slide kind of sums up. If any theme came to cross, it's not, you know, one plus one is two, obviously. But what everything we try to do is, hey, we're an architect and builder. Let's make a course. Or, hey, we uh, bought some land. How can we be the contractor also? And then make it into three. So try to think in that way. Try to think um, in, in publishing. It's not, hey, I'm going to make something and then try to get someone to publish it. Is, is it leading to anything topical that's happening? Right? How does that one plus one equals three? How can we you know, make a tiny house and transition it into bigger tiny houses and then a development. And then literally the, the most convincing thing with clients is because some of them don't know, they don't read your whole website. They say, well, you know, what about construction, this or that? Um, what, what do you think about exposed steel? And I can say, oh, like that beam right there. And then tell them how we built all that. And that equals three. Like the sale is basically closed at that point. Um, so just try to think in that different way. And I think it will do extremely well for you. Yeah. And that's all we got. Yeah. So thank you for your time. Awesome.